Hello and welcome to The Training Show, the show for training professionals by training professionals, where we discuss all things training. I'm Elaine Giles. And I'm Mike Thomas. And we're back with our third show dedicated to all things training. We've had some great feedback from our last episode where we discussed what's in a name. Yes, we heard from both Kevin and John, who both came up with names that we hadn't thought of for what we do. So Kevin mentioned coach and coaching. And he's quite right, isn't he? Yeah, I I do quite a lot of coaching. Um, I can't say I do, but then maybe that's, again, it's it's just the term. Um, I do one-on-one. I call it one-on-one consultancy, but I guess that would be coaching, wouldn't it? It would. By any other name. So that was Kevin. So thank you very much for that. Excellent point that we totally missed. Uh, and John, who mentioned mentor and mentoring, um, which is very, very popular at the moment, isn't it? It is. I wouldn't consider myself a mentor, but uh, I do know colleagues who have done what has been considered mentoring. Um, I wouldn't consider myself a mentor too much either, but I have actually had a couple of people that I have worked with. Um, and one actually that I don't exactly work with, but somebody who is a trainer who has actually turned around and said, oh, well, you're my mentor. You know, I follow what you do. So I'm not sure if mentor is um, is actually an official title that you would give yourself. I certainly wouldn't, but mm, interesting. Yes, we missed that one too. So great to hear from John. Uh, we also heard from Evie. Uh, she also joined us at our live events and she wrote to say that she was blown away by the 17 ways to deliver content from some screenshots and a screen recording. That was the multi-screen delivery uh, webinar, wasn't it, which you delivered to launch the training show? Yes, that's right. Uh, what I'd done was I had, uh, prior to the webinar, I'd recorded a short video. It was approximately three to four minutes of doing something. So something that you would be training somebody to do. And I'd taken a series of screenshots and then live in the webinar, I repurposed just that content. I didn't add any content to it. So all I had was screenshots and this short video and a little bit of text. And what I did then with that was create many, many deliverables from it. So to give you an idea, there was a PDF version of it. There was a Word version. There were PowerPoint slides, video. There was a blog post. So the idea was to show that from an initial investment of 10 minutes in this case, uh, you can deliver, in this case, 17 different versions that were cross-platform, cross-device, very little effort needed. So that was the whole point of the webinar. And uh, yes, we counted. And by the end of it, it was 17. So uh, Evie was very impressed with that. So thank you, Evie. Yes, and thank you to everyone for their feedback as well. Now, we've been on holiday, haven't we? That was the idea, yes. Where have we been? We've been on holiday. But it was a bit of a busman's holiday because um, we were, well, we were off for a week and a bit, weren't we? And we did, we delivered a training show live sessions every day which we really enjoyed. That was fantastic. So thank you to all of those who joined us. It was great to uh, chat with you. And we also had two quite unusual for us webinars, which were both dedicated to Office 2013. And uh, as a Mac user, I haven't used Microsoft Office on Windows for a long, long time. I was pleasantly surprised. I enjoyed that. There's a first. True. But I did. I think they've added some really nice features to it. It's the product it probably should have been for me about five years ago. So the features they've added this time, I think, do add value to it. 
It wasn't all plain sailing though, was it? We did have some technical hitches, so uh, do you want to explain what happened? Oh yes. Well, first of all, you're always going to face some issues going live, but uh, my first issue was I was demonstrating screen capture and I wanted to demonstrate an application which is available for iPad called Skitch. And the reason I was doing that was you can obviously capture a screen of an iPad. I wanted to take it a little bit further. I wanted to actually capture a Google map uh, live on the iPad and then add some annotations to it, which is what Skitch is one of the things Skitch enables you to do. So I did the map part. I found the location I was looking for. I displayed the map. I was sharing my iPad screen uh, live in the webinar. And I did the annotation bit. I was all good to go. What I was then attempting to do was transfer the annotated screen capture back to Evernote on my computer. And when I clicked the button to do that, because all of this is seamless, of course, I just tapped the button to do that and it gave me a dialogue box telling me I was locked out of my account and to re-authenticate. Mm. Could have done without that. One of those heart-stopping moments, I think, isn't it? So It was. What was going through your mind then at that stage? Um, why me? Why now? <laughs> but more practically, of course, um, I've got an audience, a live audience. So uh, I guess, how am I going to demo what I need to demo? How am I going to show what I need to show when I am locked out of my account? Did you ever consider that that demo was too technically demanding? Um... For a beginner, maybe, or somebody who is unfamiliar with the virtual delivery mechanism, uh, I was delivering via Adobe Connect, a system I'm very familiar with, and I was using my main computer, so that's configured perfectly for how I want it to be. The software wasn't misbehaving, so the, the only problem I was having was being locked out of my account. I, I can't claim that it was too technically demanding, I'm afraid. I have done far more technically demanding virtual training sessions without incident. Uh, for example, one of them, I used nine separate screens. So I was demonstrating screens on iPads, iPhones, computers, other computers without moving from my own. I was using remote desktops. So I, I, don't, I wouldn't say it was too technically demanding, no. I can't really claim that, I'm afraid. I'd like to, but I can't. Okay, so back to the original problem. Wasn't it a simple matter of just logging back in? Yes, it would have been uh, in reality. So if I hadn't have been demonstrating it, absolutely, that, that, would, have been, that would have solved the problem. Um, in terms of when you're demonstrating, though, the password would have been displayed on the screen. So even if I'd have had a simple password... Uh, if you've noticed with most devices, as you start typing a password, it for a fraction of a second shows you the real character and then it turns it into a little star. That's always... Um, annoyed me. <laughs> Sorry? It annoys me. Annoyed you? Yeah, it's, it's, an, it's annoyed me, but it's also amazed me, I think, because you never know when somebody... What well, One, you, you're going to have problems with demos like we're talking about but two you never know when somebody might be standing over your shoulder i i think i understand the point of it i think the point of it is so you know you've typed the right character exactly particularly on an iphone where you've got really small keys uh, on the keyboard and i regularly mistype my pass my password so at least i can see for that fraction of a second well Obviously, the iPhone and the iPad are made to be personal devices. Most tablets and phones are. So I, I 
can understand they don't expect you to be sharing your screen. But for demonstration purposes, you know, you have to. And I had already logged in. I, I must actually reiterate this this app had been authenticated once and it had never asked me again and I must have had it for almost a year and I've used it I've gone in and out never before has it said okay I've logged you out you need to re-authenticate so there was the initial shock part to it as well I did think okay I'll just type my password in but that would have meant, even if I could have remembered the password, it would have meant disabling the iPad display while I did it, which could have brought into play other problems. Would I get the iPad redisplaying on the screen? So I discounted that one. The second reason was I use very, very long passwords. I have an application which is fantastic, very happy to recommend it, called 1Password. And what 1Password does is it you remember your 1Password and the password gets you into the application 1Password. And all your other passwords are, are in there. They are encrypted, encoded and stored securely. One of the features of the application is it will generate you random passwords. So most of my passwords have a minimum of 50 characters and they are random. You can imagine that one of my pet hates is having to actually manually type a password in. So what I would actually have had to have done in my circumstance was quit out of the application, run one password, enter my password to get into there, go and find the account, copy the password, go back to the other application and paste the password in. So I deemed that that was not viable. I had a similar problem a while back. You may remember it um, doing a webinar when I was, I typed in what I thought was the password, but for, for a mail client, and it was actually the wrong password, because what I'd done is I'd stored this password in a text file, but the app that I used to open the text file, the, the font was, uh, I think it was Times New Roman, and it, it, you know, it couldn't differentiate, or I couldn't differentiate the difference between, I think it was an L and a, and a one or a capital I. <laughs> so I think, you know, for demo purposes, for training courses, you know, I think it's probably easier just to have a dummy account where you can and use password or something like that. It probably would be. Um, I What my problem was in this circumstance, you're back to the fact that your tablet or your phone are personal devices. And if I'd have gone in and started resetting passwords, if you think about how we work these days, it was my Evernote account. That would mean resetting passwords all over the place or going back at the end of it and then resetting them again. For half of the demonstration, I was using um, an account that is dedicated to demoing. The reason that I, I didn't do it with that part, and I did actually use my own real account, was that I had the application I was demonstrating, Skitch, attached to my Evernote account. So rather than I thought beforehand, as I was setting it up and thinking it through, and I did think it through, I thought maybe I should use this demo account. I thought, no, because what's going to happen is I'm going to have to reset all this when I finished. And you never know how it's going to go. If it had gone even worse than it did, I may have had to have redone the whole thing. So I elected, it was a conscious decision on my part, to stick with what I had. As I say, it had never prompted me before. So, yes, I take your point, And if possible, I do tend to do that. But because you're, you're, you're using your own devices, it's not a demo device. It's actually my personal device. I do sanitise it to some degree and move, move the apps that I'm using onto a separate screen so people aren't distracted by all the other stuff that's there. But I did 
consciously make the decision to stick with my own account, which obviously, with the benefit of hindsight, maybe I wouldn't have done. Okay, so you sat there with a message on your screen, on your, your iPad screen, asking you to, to log back into your account or telling you you're, you're locked out. What did you do? Um, I had data from an earlier rehearsal. So what I'd done just prior to going live was I had run through the entire uh, presentation, which was about 15, 20 minutes worth. I'd gone through it all. I'd actually um, gone to the same location in the mapping software and I had annotated it. I put different annotations on it, but you know the principle was the same, an arrow pointing to the car park. And I had saved it and I had synchronised it back to Evernote. That actually, the fact that I had gone through and I had done that, made me even more surprised that it had unceremoniously logged me out. Why would it do that when 20 minutes beforehand it was fine? I could understand it more if I hadn't used it in many, many weeks. But having done it just 20 minutes before, I'd have thought that was enough that it would keep the connection going. So I had this map, which uh, it was a graphic, so it's a JPEG with the annotations on it, and it had gone back to my Evernote account. So I had Evernote on my desktop, on my secondary monitor, and I had this earlier file in it. Now, I could so easily have deleted that. Pure luck, I didn't. I left it there. I didn't leave it there as a backup. I did just choose to leave it there. So at the point it failed, I had to explain what the problem was. It wanted me to re-authenticate. It wasn't a problem with what I was actually demonstrating. It was purely just the tech misbehaving. So I said, I did do one earlier and I was able to open up the file I'd used before and show them that on the iPad. And then instead of just tapping that button to say, send this to Evernote, it was a case of pretend I've tapped that button and it let me send it to, to Evernote. And then bringing Evernote onto the screen and saying, here's the one I did earlier. And there it was. So running through the whole training session earlier had actually saved the day. Yes, it did. Um, the, the having one I did earlier did in this case save the day. It was actually, with it being Evernote, for those who are familiar with Evernote, you'll be aware that each note has a time and date on it. For those who aren't aware, you now are aware. So this note with the map in it was timed and dated and they could see that it was only 20 minutes before the webinar started. So it wasn't one that I'd canned weeks and weeks ago and that the feature didn't work anymore. They could see it was very, very recent. Okay, so you didn't panic. Um... Could you take a break? Is that different when you're training virtually as opposed to live? In longer sessions, I think you could take a break, even if it is virtual, because you tend to have some kind of chat going on. Um, I know there's some webinars that aren't as interactive as others. The ones that I'm either presenting at or technically assisting with do all have some kind of bi-directional chat so you could entertain the attendees in some other way while you did take a break to fix something like that what made that not possible this time was it was only a 15-20 minute session so I didn't really deem it worthwhile to actually officially say well let's take a break while I try and sort this out there just wasn't the, the time really I think you'd have the same problem if it were a longer session and whatever had failed, failed at the very beginning or the very end, maybe two or three minutes into it. I think it's a little bit soon or a little bit too late to take a break, maybe. Yeah, I've had that uh, that happen to me where something just doesn't work at the start and you think, I can't really take a break now. It, it is too early. I'm going to uh, have to persevere and try and fix it and then uh, then carry on. 
One of the things that happens very early on in demonstrations is if you've got a problem sharing the slides, which did happen to us a few weeks ago. Um, you've started, you're, you're in full flow doing your intro, at which point you find out that the attendees can't see the slides. It's actually more difficult than you would imagine to get back into the right tone and the right frame of mind by the time that you have ensured they can see the slides. So I do think if it's at the beginning or the end, it, it does make it a little bit more difficult. I almost did that last week, actually. Um, I was just about to start and I realised that I hadn't started the screen sharing. <laughs> <laughs> happens to us it all. Does. Anyway, the skitch issue wasn't the only tech file fail of the week, though, was it? Sadly not, no. Um, another 15-20 minutes uh, talk I was going to do was all about iTunes U, which is a fantastic system. And um, again, I'd done my rehearsal. I actually physically have... Um, a stopwatch and I have that in my hand as I'm rehearsing to make sure my timings are correct and everything had gone swimmingly in rehearsal that's always a time to worry I find what I needed to do was I was starting off with my computer and I was showing iTunes I was showing the store part of iTunes with iTunes U and that was fine then I needed to demonstrate what happened when you transferred it to an iPad. The common thread here is an iPad, isn't it? I think it had taken against me that week. So there is a, an iTunes U app on an iPad. So I wanted to display that. That was my objective. So I had shared my iPad screen onto my computer and I had shared my computer screen with my virtual audience via the, web the webinar platform I was using. Now, that's already three layers deep. What I did have was an alternative application in place should my screen sharing application for my iPad fail. So when I thought it had, because what happened was I came to my iPad, I reflected it to my screen, so you could at this stage see my iPad. As soon as I went into the iTunes U app, the screen disappeared, so it froze. So I stopped the share and I reshared it and I had exactly the same problem. And I couldn't again fathom why that was a problem because 20 minutes beforehand, it was fine. So what I did was I closed the application I was using to show my iPad screen and I used the backup application that I had. And that didn't work either. So at this point, um, mm, that, was a, that was even more of a big problem because I, I was thinking at that stage, I don't have a third application, but it wasn't a waste of time because it did mean that I could tell straight away if two applications had the same problem, then the iPad was the point of failure. My other alternative was to go cabled and actually cable it in. That's not as easy as it sounds in a webinar situation because I can cable it in and I could project it to a screen or I could project it to a secondary monitor. But there are difficulties sharing that with a webinar audience in real time. So that was the problem I had with that. And of course, with it being a virtual session, you can't just sit there and try and fix the problem and not say anything because people can see you're having problems and they need they need you actually to reassure them that it's not a problem and you will sort it out. So you've got to try and make some kind of coherent sense while you're troubleshooting. So the thing is, at the point of failure, that's not the time to be trying to fix it, doing something for the first time. So if you've never tried the second application, that's not the time to try it, really. What I could have done was use another device. I did actually have a secondary iPad, 
but I would have needed to have downloaded the content again because if I've got two iPads to demonstrate with and I choose to demonstrate with one, once I've started the demonstration, I'm five minutes into it and it fails. I would then have to re repeat that five minutes with a second iPad to get it to the same state. So that wasn't really viable either. And also, if I'd have had to have logged in to get the content again, I would have had the password issues again. So not, not great in total. So should you always turn the equipment off and on again? In this circumstance, turning it off and on again did actually solve the problem. What I tracked the problem down to was once I'd rehearsed it, I had actually started playing a video and I had stopped playing that video. But the iPad had got confused and was still trying to play the video. And that was why when it was connected to the computer to share its screen, it was constantly trying to play the video. And that was actually what was wrong with it. So I elected to reboot the iPad. And again, of course, as I'm doing that, it was um, a third generation iPad. So it didn't actually take as long as a first or second gen would have taken to reboot. But I can't, again, just sit there and say nothing. So I was, I decided with it being a very short session to take the content from further down the line and discuss it while the iPad rebooted. Also, although it did solve the problem in this circumstance, luckily I had already downloaded the content. But if I hadn't downloaded the content and I'd have needed to reboot, it would have logged me out of the service and then I would have faced the same issues as I did with Skitch. So actually rebooting can cause problems. I'd say the best advice has to be to learn how to handle it, because whatever you do, you will have to handle some sort of fail at some time. Yeah, and it's not always the tech, is it? Um, I'm, I'm classifying a fail probably the same way as you. is something that interrupts the flow of a course. And for me, yes, I've had plenty of tech fails over the years, but I've also had plenty of non-tech fails. Um, environment issues as I call them. Things like alarms. It could be a car alarm going off. Uh, a couple of weeks ago uh, I was in our training room and uh, an alarm went off. I actually thought because I had the door shut that it was um, a, what, a fire alarm and we were going to have to evacuate or I was going to have to evacuate. It was a it was a course I was delivering via Webex but as I got nearer the window it was a car alarm so I went and shut the window. Uh, we get dogs barking don't we? Oh we do including our own. <laughs> we, yes, we get mowers or I get mowers. I work in a, in a very nice place, but uh, where, where I'm based, we have a lot of gardens and very often you get mowers and you get leaf uh, blowers um, just as you're about to start delivering the training. In fact, I remember one day it was about 20 past one. I was due to start about half past one and the leaf blower man started blowing. So I actually uh, stopped the course because he'd, he'd stopped and then he started again five minutes into the course. I actually stopped the course, went outside and spoke to him. He said, you know, I'll be two minutes. So I thought I'm going to time you here. <laughs> Although I didn't. <laughs> yeah, we get sirens. And I remember one time uh, we actually had water pouring in through the window. Uh, it was it was a rainy day. It was uh, water was pouring in through the window and it was actually pouring in on the electrical sockets. So, again, I had to stop the course. I had to go to the cleaners cupboard. I had to find some big um, black bin bags and, and cover the plugs. Classic. I think it's a case of mitigating the impact where you can. Uh, we 
always close the windows no matter how hot it is because even in um, a less I mean you're, you're saying that the grounds that you have are extensive and need tending and obviously that would have to happen during business hours but I have a home office and Whereas most gardening used to occur at the weekends, and I didn't even notice it, you notice every noise when you're delivering webinars live. And it seems to me that gardening has shifted to be a midweek activity. And it's not uncommon to have uh, the mowing mafia, as I call them, arrive. Uh, and leaf blowers, they are the bane of my life. They really are, because they, they, they generate such noise. Um, you've just got to mitigate it. There's nothing else you can do. If you can't mitigate it to the point that you can deliver the course then you've got a decision to make which is what you were saying that you you elected to go out though didn't you you then carried on with the course i did yes on that one have you ever abandoned a course um no not because of, not because of a failure no i think the nearest i've ever got to an abandoned course it's slightly different uh, and it is a fail as well i suppose but it happens what happened was um, it was a course that I was delivering. It was a one day course. It wasn't a tech fail it, or any other kind of fail, really, that I had any control over. It was a lack of delegates. It was, I suppose, an organisation fail. What had happened was this company, um, the way they sold their business, uh, their services, was that they replied to invitations to tender and they had been waiting for an invitation to tender and it hadn't appeared and of course needless to say it did appear at nine o'clock on the morning of their training course so this invitation to tender had come in it was very important to them as a business and it had come in so late that everybody who was booked on the course was going to have to drop everything and concentrate on that tender on that day so there was a decision to be made. They either provided other people. You, I mean, you've talked about this where it's a case of get somebody else to go on the course because you paid for the course. Um, so that was one option that they had. But I had a good relationship with the person in charge of booking the training. And she said, do you know what? I don't really want to do that. I want the people that I want trained to be trained, but I'm sorry, we, there's no way we can do it today. So what will happen here? And I was actually delivering that course as a freelancer working for a third party supplier. And my terms of business are that I am paid up front. So I had no problem at all. Whether they would have been charged twice it, I certainly did, elected to make the decision I wouldn't have charged them twice, but I had no control over the third party supplier. So I said, well, it really doesn't matter because I'm prepared to write today off and come back on another day and not charge you. So the fact you've already paid the third party supplier, I'm not going to put a bill in twice to them. I will just come back and do this course when it's convenient for you, which I felt was fair i was i was probably playing the longer term game there i mean things like that do happen yes that that affected me because as i turn up to deliver that the second day it has taken me two days and i've only been paid for one but as i say it was it was a longer term to me and i i deemed it wasn't really the client's fault i could tell from the way they were running around that it wasn't something they'd left till the last minute. I believed it really had just come in. So I elected to do that. Luckily, I was in a position to be able to do that. But I treat my freelance work as if they are my own clients anyway. If that's what I would do for my own client, then I will do it on a freelance basis. And that was what I did. They were very, very grateful. So at 
about 9.30, I vacated the premises and, and left them to their tendering. And I went back and I delivered that course a couple of weeks later. It did mean that when their contract with the third party supplier came to an end, they approached me. Obviously, I wouldn't touch it while they were in contract with the third party. But at that point, they came to me and she said, I remembered you were so flexible and that's the sort of company we want to work with. So it can even work in, in, in your favour if you do play the long game. That was the nearest I've ever come. It wasn't an abandoned course. We never actually got going. I've abandoned uh, quite a few courses, actually, over the years, mainly down to system failures. Uh, if I'm training, uh, delivering training on a, a bespoke system that needs to be, obviously needs to be up and running and, and it, it isn't, then there's not a lot you can do. I have been able to fall back now and again on screenshots and say, you know, this is what the screen looks like. This is where you'd click. This is what you do. But you just don't get the same level of, of I suppose, knowledge and training from, from the, the, the delegate's point of view as if you were actually on the system. And, of course, there was the 7-7 bomb um, a few years back when I worked at the police. And even though it was in London, uh, they wanted all the courses. I was training officers at the time and they wanted all the courses to be abandoned so that the officers could get out on the street and, and provide uh, visibility. Mm. But uh, we've talked a lot about IT training, probably because that's what we do. But there's other types of, of failure as well, isn't there? There's the it shouldn't happen to a trainer fail. And whatever type of training you do, you could end up with marker pens that have run out. I've had that happen many times. I'm sure you have. I carry my own. Oh, you would. <laughs> it, it happened far too too often for me. I could I couldn't be doing with going into other people's premises, and either there'd be no marker pens at all, or they they were they were well past their sell by date. I couldn't understand why training companies didn't triage that on a daily basis. But yes, it happened far too often, and I, I bought my own. Best way, I think. Running out of flip chart paper is another one. And the classic one, of course, is using the wrong board pen, using a permanent marker on a whiteboard. I must admit, I do try and avoid <laughs> whiteboards at all costs because um, there's the other one. You know, when you're projecting your slides and it's onto a screen. Yes. And you think it's a whiteboard and it's not. <laughs> That, that never ends well either. So I must admit, I'm very careful with that. Of course, these days I tend to deliver um, differently. I wouldn't bother with marker pens or flip chart paper because you can do pretty much all of it with a tablet and something like Adobe Ideas. Yes, that's something that I've actually done. Um, and uh, I've got a blog post about that. I'll put a link in the show notes. Well, you mentioned dogs barking and, um, yes, Mayer, who's our dog, uh, made his, um, well, I should say, made, well, not made his appearance, made another appearance, made several actually, during the training show lives. And to be honest, the attendees loved it. Uh, we tend to be less formal and he wasn't right next to the microphone, so he was faint at, uh, at his worst. But um, they actually loved it. So sometimes it can work quite well. It can. Does it make a difference to you if the course is on site, closed or public as to, to what your, your, your reaction and your actions are if, if something does go wrong? Um, every training session is different, uh, irrespective of where it is. There's just a different vibe. Um, it could be anything. It could be the people involved. I've had courses where, in terms of does it make a difference, I had one course and nobody spoke. It was literally, they, they were just the silent order. 
nobody spoke. I was asking direct questions and nobody would speak. Um, it depends on the time, whether they're on shifts, the place, um, even world events. You, you mentioned 7-7. World events can have sort of a, something can happen and it can change the whole vibe of it. So um, I just have to say every session is different. Um, we tend to be very informal because I think I think most people can relate to informal. We tend to have a chat running, uh, as I've mentioned, but some of the events I've attended have been very, very different. There is no chat at all, or there's no bi-directional chat. At its worst, there's just no indication that they know you're there. Um, having said that, I like informal. We recently attended a presentation, didn't we? And uh, bad language was used, and I actually found that very offensive. So I think there is you need to draw a distinction between if it's a private course and everybody knows each other and they're sort of you know, joking around with each other. I think that's fine, but I think you do need to, to keep some degree of professionalism there. So I treat every course individually. I don't go in with a preconceived idea of, OK, you know, these are lawyers, so they're going to be that way, or these are teachers, so they're going to be another way. I just go in and take people as they are. I think the most important thing is that you meet the expectations of the attendees. And you can guide those expectations. Uh, you can provide pre-course information. You can ask questions of the delegates. Right at the start, you can provide information again, which will align their expectations. So as I've said, um, we do MacBytes Learning Events is, is one of the companies we work with. And they are very, very informal. I also talk to the attendees during the training, even if it's a webinar and I'm, you know, I'm looking at a screen, I'm not looking at faces. I do talk to them and I ask questions, even if they're rhetorical. And I'll say, you know, put your answers in the chat and I'll read them. So I like to keep it fairly flexible in, in that kind of way and just guide their expectations. I ask them what they expect and uh, try to meet those expectations. Good. People often say that no matter how much prep you do, something's bound to go wrong. So what top tips can you share to help trainers cope in the case of a calamity? I actually make a distinction between foreseeable or preventable fails and the unavoidable fails. And I would take personal responsibility for anything that I consider to be a preventable fail. And then it just depends on how you handle it. And, and the, the number one rule is don't panic. Try and have a fallback plan. Uh, in my situation with the iPad, I was using one application to do that. But my fallback plan was I had a second application. I didn't really want to go further than those two applications. But if neither of them had worked and the reboot hadn't worked, then I could have carried on. I had a second iPad. I also had a cable sat on the desk next to me, so I could have plugged it in. So it's a case of having that fallback plan. I also personally have a setup sheet and my setup sheet has evolved over time and it's not a generic one. It is set up. I would, as soon as I have an event planned, I look at the setup sheet and I see if there's anything specific to that event that needs to be added. But the majority of it is tends to be generic. And I find that that leads to a calmer start and, and preparation time, because the time that you mentally allocate to when you're going to be setting up, I find nine times out of 10 gets eaten away by something that's more pressing 
at that moment, just as the start time is looming at you. So something like, um, especially in webinar situations, online virtual sessions, you will find there are people who can't get in. Uh, they've forgotten their password, they can't remember the URL, they didn't get the email, and it'll be two minutes before, just as you're thinking, I'll just set this up on my screen and I'll just set that up. So just being able to go through a setup sheet means I, I literally, it's like um, a flight plan is to a pilot. It's just check, 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 and I'm done. And that makes you calmer. And then if it's something that you should, I, I get more annoyed with myself if I think, do you know what? I should have thought of that. And that, that makes handling it more difficult. So I try to avoid anything like that. But unavoidable things like the fact that, you know, maybe iTunes is down or iTunes U won't let me in or Skitch won't let me into Evernote, they're unavoidable. And it's just a matter of how you handle it. You have to be flexible enough to maybe move the last five minutes of the course into this five minutes when you're going to be rebooting things. You could, of course, go into a Q&A session or something like that. But the shorter it is, the more difficult that can be. That's some great advice there. Now, both videos from the Training Show Lives are available online, so you can see just how well Elaine coped with her tech fail. And we'll put a link in the show notes on the website. Yes, there's no hiding my shame, is there? <laughs> we'll return to this topic in a future show, I think. So uh, if you feel it's you against the world, watch this space. We'll have more advice and best practices on the subject. I'm sure you and I are not the only ones with a training fail story. So if you're out there listening to this and hopefully laughing along with us, why don't you share your stories with us? Well, Elaine, I know you'd rather it hadn't happened, but hopefully you sharing how you handled it will help other people. And before we go, where can the listeners find you in the next few weeks? Oh, well, this week we have the, the most exciting event for a couple of months, which is it's going to be a MacBytes Live. I'm a co-presenter with your good self on the MacBytes podcast about all things Mac. And this week, Apple have an announcement planned. It is Wednesday, the 12th of September at uh, 6pm UK time which is 10 a.m. Pacific time. When they will be announcing something new, I'm not going to be drawn into what it's going to be called or what it is because I really want them to surprise us. But what we do when there are announcements is we have a live chat session going and we follow along with all the live blogs. If there's a video of the event, we all sit back and virtually watch it together. And we generally have a fantastic time. So uh, if you are available and if you are interested in anything computer, oh, well, Mac computer and uh, I iPhone, iPad related, then please feel free to join us. I assume you will put a link in the show notes. I will. And uh, the following week on Thursday at eight o'clock p.m. UK time, I'm delivering a webinar about automating Photoshop. So if anyone is interested in Photoshop and they would like to come along, they would be most welcome. I will ensure that you also add a link to that in the show notes. But what about you? Where can we find you? I've got a whole range of Excel webinars coming up um, in the next couple of months, starting on the 27th of September. We shall look forward to it and put thank a link you. in the show notes for that. Yes. And that's it for the show. So thank you for listening. If you'd like to contribute to the website by writing an article about something you're passionate about, please drop us a line. But most of all, please get in touch. We'd love to hear what topics you'd like to see us cover and hear your thoughts on all things training. You can contact us via the training show at gmail.com. You can use the contact form on the website at thetrainingshow.com and you can also follow us 
on Twitter at twitter.com slash the training show. But that's it for today, so we'll see you next time. See you next time.